Recovery Elevator, episode 245. And I took ownership of my life. I took responsibility for my life. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator podcast. My name is Paul Churchill. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we have Jay. He's 37 years old from Charlotte, North Carolina. He took his last drink on December 26th, 2018. I love it when people ditch the booze right in the middle of the time when society says you should be consuming boatloads of alcohol. Nice job, Jay. And in his interview, he talks about how he found major attraction when he told his best friend he no longer wanted to drink alcohol. I've got a free five-day video course to help you navigate your first five days alcohol-free. This is a simple no-frills course that will give you a good understanding of concepts that will help you build the foundation for your alcohol-free journey. You'll get a video delivered to your inbox each day with detailed instructions on how to ditch the booze. Go to recoveryelevator.com, and on the homepage, you'll see where to enter your info. Okay, let's get started. This is a fun one today. Someone sent me a screenshot of a response to a post in the Stop Drinking thread on Reddit. After reading it, I was like, whoa, this guy with the handle of Jammin nailed it. And I'm assuming it's a guy because it looks like Benjamin, but it could also be a gal. Whoever it was knocked this question out of the park. Um, and since I only have a screenshot of this response, I'm not 100% certain of what he was commenting on, but I've got a good idea. There's a widespread false assumption that quitting drinking looks something like this. Number one, make the decision to stop drinking. Number two, stop drinking. Number three, ride dragon or unicorn, you pick, for the rest of your life. Basically saying one and done. Now, this is possible, and I've met several who have done so. In fact, I've interviewed several, but this isn't the majority. In fact, if you're listening now and you fall into this category of deciding to stop drinking and you never looked back, and, and I'm not in this category, then please listen in support. Okay, so this B. Jammin's response to someone who I think was getting down, that they were having a difficult time sticking with the decision to stop drinking, that they kept being pulled to do additional field research. So I think that's the question, that someone is getting frustrated with the journey, thinking that they are perhaps the only one out there um, that's struggling to make this decision to stop drinking stick. Okay, and can someone do me a favor? If you're in the stop drinking thread on Reddit, can someone reach out to B Jammin and say, hey, this guy Paul on the Recovery Elevator podcast, he wants to interview you. B Jammin, email him at paulrecoveryelevator.com. All right, let's see if that's gonna happen. So this was his response to, I think, someone who was frustrated with the journey of not being able to make the decision stick. Here it goes. You know what? You're heading in the right direction to win. You want to stop. You literally cannot win without that. I've lost friends to booze, and none of them wanted to stop. Wanting to stop provides friction. It adds resistance to drinking, which has the effect of reducing your intake. Maybe you start an hour later in the day. Maybe you drink one glass less. That helps. It makes it easier to apply more friction in the future. If problem drinking is a runaway car rolling down a hill, wanting to stop it is first digging in your heels trying to slow it down. 
Maybe you can't just haul on the car to make it stop, but you can slow it down that little bit. Sometimes the hill gets steeper and all you can do is hang on. Other times, things even out and you can really make an impact. Every bit of speed you bleed off makes every future bit easier. Eventually, you're going to make it to the driver's door and steer the bastard to a safe stop. The only other option is to give up and let it plow through a village full of innocent people at the bottom. He then says, I'm always impressed by people who just stop. That's not the only way, and you're not a failure for not doing it that way. Be jamming, you are the man, or woman, whoever you are. So let's explore this a little bit. In the first paragraph, he says you want to stop. He says you literally cannot win without that part. In episode 228, I talk about how this is the first and most important part of the journey. It's the intention to stop, and when that want or desire to ditch the booze has landed at the conscious and unconscious level, then it's game over. It's only a matter of time. And that's where Newton's first law of motion comes into play. Once you've internally made the decision to stop drinking, then the external environment will start to align to match this desire. It's not always pretty, but it usually does the trick. Wanting to stop provides friction. It adds resistance. This resistance, this friction, can get us one day away from alcohol, where perhaps in the past decade, we didn't even have one. We might make it two consecutive nights in a row without drinking. Huge effing win. Or instead of drinking 100% of the days in October, we drank 88% of the days. That is still moving in the right direction. That's the trajectory we want, and this is the narrative what it looked like for so many, including myself. Then I love how B. Jammin compares us to a runaway car because that's what it is. At first, maybe you can't make it stop, but slowing the car down is still progress. Sometimes the hill gets steeper, and all you can do is hang on. Another way to say this is, sometimes life happens. Jobs can suck, kids can light things on fire, spouses can really piss you off. Other times, life slows. You can remove your Legend of Zelda costume because Halloween is over. You just paid off your credit card, and your boss is out of town for a month. And when we recognize the pace of life has slowed in our favor from somewhere, we are filled with the strength to get back on it, and we make big strides. B. Jammin then says, Eventually, you're going to make it to the driver's door and steer the bastard to a safe stop. And this is how it looks for the majority, and Newton's first law says the same thing in a more technical fashion. An object in motion will continue in motion, in this case it's the addiction, unless acted upon by something with equal force or greater force. What I'm saying is the addiction, the runaway car, won't stop until an opposite force of equal or greater force acts upon it. So I've yet to meet someone who hasn't been able to depart from alcohol. Let me clarify something with this real quick. I've yet to meet someone who has wanted to quit drinking or the intention has been set who hasn't been able to do so. Now, if you've recently made the decision to quit drinking and you're logging some good time away from alcohol, then fantastic. I do not want you to hear this episode and say, hmm, Paul says it shouldn't look like this. And there are some new micro brews I've been wanting to try out. Negative. If you're racking up the time away from alcohol after first making the decision to quit drinking, then roll with it. There are so many ways to do this. However, that's not the majority. But if that is you, please support the rest of us because we need the support. 
the key point that I want to make in this episode is to say that if your journey resembles a runaway car, then you're not doing anything wrong. This is how it looks for most people. This is how it was for me in 2014. Things got ugly in a beautiful way. Looking back on that summer from May to September, once that intention was set, right around May 15th, when I did some serious burning of the ships, everything lined up perfectly and I got everything I needed to help me quit drinking. Was it fun? Do I want to go through that again? Huh, that shit's rhetorical. Now before we hear from Jay, let's hear from my favorite resource, Cafe RE. The three most important lessons I've learned while quitting drinking are, we can't do this alone, we need accountability, and a supportive community is key. In the private unsearchable Facebook groups, Cafe RE, Jay, my man, how are you? Doing good, Paul, thanks. Yeah, Jay, great to have you here with us. I know our listeners are excited to hear more about your story, and I know I am excited to dive deeper into your story. Listeners, Jay sent me an email on June 10th, 2019, when he had 166 days away from alcohol, and his last line said, I look forward uh, one day to paying it forward. When I read that, (laughs) I usually respond with, hey, Jay, how about an interview? So, Here we are, August 27th. This one looks like it's coming out uh, October 28th. And and right now, Jay is 243 days away from alcohol. But instead of me, I guess I just answered the first question. So I'm going to let you answer that because it feels so good for the interviewee. When was your last drink, Jay? December 26th, 2018. December 26th, right in the middle of the gauntlet of the holidays before New Year's. Nice job, man. How's it feel? Feels great. Yeah. Well, good. I'm excited to dive deeper into your story. But before we get any further, give listeners a little background about yourself, Jay, where you're from, what you do for a living. You have a family uh, and and your your age. And what do you like to do for fun? All right. I'm Jay. I'm 37. I grew up in upstate New York. Uh, For the last nine years, I've been living in North Carolina. Started out as a mechanical engineer. Now I have a full-time sales job. And I also have a uh, full-time real estate side hustle. So when I'm not uh, when I'm not working, I like to mountain bike, play golf. I am married. Nice. You are a busy guy, and uh, let's just add quitting drinking to that as well. <laughs> and I quit, and I've quit drinking. Yeah, nice job. I imagine uh, that actually frees up some time and space. Okay, Jay, give listeners background about your drinking. Let's get up to speed. How much did you used to drink? Did you ever t- attempt to moderate? And let's dive in to uh let's try to focus on the couple years before your rock bottom moment on december 21st 2018 and especially want to focus on the 243 days you have now currently away from alcohol but uh take it from the start when you started and get us up to speed all right paul so uh you know in high school i had fun on friday night after football games in college you know i partied on friday or saturday night my workload in school prevented me from from really losing control Um, i was always focused and driven um, in my 20s, I was a weekend warrior. I had fun on Friday and Saturday nights. Drinking wasn't something I did Sunday through Friday afternoon. I had so much other stuff going on that it wasn't part of my life. In 2010, I relocated from upstate New York uh, down to North Carolina and started running into some problems that, uh, that I couldn't solve, things I couldn't outwork, things I couldn't out-hustle, things I couldn't out-grind. And what were some of those problems? It was in a job I didn't like. Didn't like the work I did. Didn't like the people I was around. And in uh, 2011, 2012, I was dating the woman that is now my wife. 
after working all day, I didn't want to bring that into our relationship. And I think my first, you know, outside of binge drinking as a college kid, my first real abuse of, as, of alcohol uh, to cope with things was before I'd go see her at the end of the day, I'd wax a 24-ounce twisted tea before driving over to see her. I didn't want to bring the baggage of how much I hated my job into our relationship. And I was just trying to shield her from that. I wanted her to see the quote unquote real me. So it sounds like right around that time, 2010, you're encountering some problems that, yeah, just hard work and determination is not getting you through. And is that when alcohol started to, to make an appearance to, to kind of like alleviate that situation? Yeah, that's exactly it. I, I remember, you know, getting to the point of four o'clock and thinking, I just, I, I can't wait. I can't wait to have a drink to get, you know, to, to just stop thinking about this crap. Now, was there any trepidation saying like, all right, like work's tough. I'm going to have some drinks, but, but this could go down a bad path. Not then. So I stayed in this job for three and a half more years. Um, I had plenty of opportunities to get out of it, plenty of other job offers. And I, I made the decision each time that my relationship, you know, with, with the girl that's my wife now was more important than taking another job. So I spent those years, you know, trying to kick a hole into a wall, creating a doorway to some future that didn't exist. Eventually quit the job, started my own business, and hello anxiety, you know? Going from a steady paycheck to having to create an income was a, was a rude awakening for me. Yeah, I know a thing or two about owning your own businesses and anxiety. And I also know a thing or two about when that anxiety comes. Alcohol does a damn good job of mitigating the anxiety temporarily. And then the next day, it, it, it's like a firecracker goes off even harder. Did you experience that? Like, hey, I've got anxiety, alcohol works, the next day it's worse, and then, uh-oh, cue hamster wheel. Yeah, it was, um, you know, it was, it was drink in the evening, um, you know, press pause on all these problems, wake up full of shame and guilt, you know, make the decision to power through the next day, you know, run out of willpower, cycle repeats. Jay, let me ask you a question. You said you played football in high school. Uh, do you have a sports background? I do. Yeah. So after, you know, I played baseball and football in high school. And then um, in my 20s and early 30s, I, uh, I raced motorcycles. I did triathlons. Always been active, cycling, running. This might be a little early in the interview to, answer, to ask this question, but do you feel your sports background somewhat backfired when it came to quitting drinking? For example, most problems that I faced in life, I, I took the lessons I learned in sports with pride, dedication, desire, just hammer it harder, get up again. Um, none of those lessons were applicable to alcohol where it's almost like a surrender is what's needed. Did you have any experience with that? Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exactly kind of how I started the interview off. I, I just I ran into a set of problems that I could not out-hustle. I could not out-grind. It required a completely different set of skills to be, to be developed you know, around feelings and emotions and all that stuff that you know you're not allowed to have on on the football field or you know on the racetrack things like that i love it so we're, we're early 30s mid 30s you've got your own business anxiety is creeping up cue alcohol take it from there yeah so you know like i said just just that cycle kept repeating itself where rather than you know talking about how i felt with the people closest to me and the problems I was having, I internalized this stuff. I bottled it up. And 2016, 17, 18, I am now a, an absolute pressure cooker. Internalizing things, um, never saying no, never setting boundaries with people. 
you know, now what I've learned in these last couple of months is there were numerous times where I made emotional bids with people, either my friends or my wife, you know, even my mother at times, and they were either dismissed or minimized. What do you mean and emotional bids? You know how you'll, you'll start a con- try to start a conversation with someone, testing the waters, dipping your toe in? Like here, here's just a real simple example saying, wow, I had, I had quite the day today. And the way that that gets dismissed and minimized is when whoever you're talking to turns around and goes, yeah, well, let me tell you about my week. Oh, okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. One of the, you know, the, the big issues I've had was, and, I, and I've learned this recently, I basically had zero emotional intelligence. This stuff has been happening to me since I was, you know, since I was young. Never really knew what was going on or recognized or acknowledged that my emotional bids were being dismissed or minimized like that. And I just thought it was part of life. I just bottled up what I was feeling and kept going. Wow. And Jay, did you recognize that you almost weren't getting the emotional support you, you needed and deserved before you quit drinking? Or was this something that, that in sobriety has bottled or come to the surface? No, this is something that's, that's come out here in the last five or six weeks. In, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually how this works, listeners. Is, I mean, that's a big one, Jay, to say, to recognize your emotional bids, your emotional, um, you throwing it out there saying, hey, look. I want a conversation, a deeper connection and not having received. That's usually how that works is you quit drinking and then this stuff comes out, which is good news because this is where we need to go on our journey. And so let's back it up a little bit, Jay. It says you hit a rock bottom on December 21st, 2018. Now, before that moment, you mentioned you were a pressure cooker. Did you ever blow? Um, did you ever try to moderate? Did you ever try to quit? Uh, yeah, get us up to speed. I'm excited to hear it. Yeah. So in terms of moderating and quitting, uh, yes, absolutely. I started to recognize things were, were getting out of control and, and I, I was losing control over alcohol. Probably around 2016, I found that 30-day sobriety solution book by Jack Canfield. Mm-hmm. Found great value in that in, in the understanding that you know alcohol is a symptom of a much bigger problem. So I would go 30, 40 days from time, you know, three or four times a year. But in terms of the pressure cooker thing, I was not expressing any of the feelings I was going through with anybody. And I found that I would, I would maintenance drink for two or three weeks at a time. And then when I just could not keep, keep the pressure down, I would drink myself to the point. This is all in private too. Sure. Drink myself to the point that I would just have these intense emotional outbursts, just these you know, moments of intense crying. And just let some of this, just some of the pressure off, let some of this crap out of me. And after doing that, I would, obviously there was a shame and guilt the next morning after drinking like that, but I would feel lighter for the next couple of days. And this kind of kept going on and on. And, you know, we get to 2018. I told you I'd started my own business. You know, some things had happened. I had to take a job and I ended up taking a job two hours away from where we were living. I go from in 2011, 2012, you know, having the world by the balls with good job offers and six-figure salaries and stuff. And now I'm having to take a job to remain solvent, renting a bedroom from a friend and, you know, just feeling, feeling this tremendous kick in the pouch. So, you know, being two hours away from my wife, not a whole lot of accountability. And I would, I would get into it every night, you know, of varying levels. You know, some days it was one drink, some days it was 10 and somewhere around November, December of last year, I knew, I knew I couldn't keep the balls in the air. 
I knew that the people around me were recognizing that this was an issue, and I knew that something needed to change. I hadn't tasted rock bottom yet, and in listening, to, I've been listening to your podcast since June of 2018. People would talk about their rock bottom moments, and I'm like, eh, I'm kind of a foot off the bottom. I haven't really hit it yet. And I was home for Christmas. I was uh, at a friend's house. We were playing, at the time, one-on-one beer pong, which is a really good idea. Some other guys came over. We played two-on-two beer pong. And basically, Paul, I, I brought home all of the anger, all of the frustration, and most importantly, all of the sadness that I was feeling. And it all came out in an instant when I tried to pick a fight with a guy that I didn't even know at a small friend function. And fortunately, I was, uh, I was too drunk to do anything besides, you know, fall on the floor and found myself trying to rustle some other guy's leg down to the ground. And as soon as I let go of that leg, I knew it. Like in my head, I stood up, I put my hands on my head, and I remember thinking to myself, this is my rock bottom moment. Wow. Yeah, listeners, at 10 minutes into Jay's interview drops a huge value bomb, which took me a good year, year and a half into my journey to realize this is that alcohol, I forget exactly how you phrased it, but alcohol is, is just a uh, symptom of a much larger problem. And it sounds like um, there's a lot of emotional support that was not received and a lot of stuff you were going through, especially with that background, the sports background. I can almost, because we're looking at each other face to face and I can almost see just, just like a little bit of the upbringing. How just a no pain, no gain. You worked hard, Jay, and you went through all this emotionally alone. And then it started to bubble to the surface. Alcohol kept it down. And then December 21st, something beautiful happened. It all came out. And Jay, you gave yourself permission, even though it looked, you gave yourself permission to let it all come out. And it looked in the format of wrestling a guy's leg on the ground. You stood up immediately and was like, whoa. And you had indications prior to that when you would drink and some of that stuff would, would, would come out. And even after a big binge involved with shame, guilt, and anxiety, you still felt better for a couple of days. And so, Jay, even if it's a rock-bottom moment, I hope you can tell yourself a nice job for giving yourself permission on December 21st, 2018 to make a difference, to change. And that change was you allowed yourself to purge emotions, feelings that had been there for years and just it like kept in different recesses in your body. And despite, uh, you know, wrestling your friend's leg to the ground, like how did you feel after that? You know, after that, um, obviously the party cleared out and um, – I was in the kitchen with, with my buddy and just, just talked a little bit about things. But in my head, in that moment, I kind of knew the gig was up. Like, it was, it was done. It was over. A couple days after that, I was talking to I – I drove back to, to North Carolina, talking to my best friend down here, and he heard what was going on. He had, you know, for, for the last couple of months, he knew what was going on with me. He had he – had, invited me to open up a little bit with him, which I hadn't. But now this time we got into the conversation and I finally said, I have a drinking problem. And in that moment that I told him, my shoulders dropped three inches. Wow. And when was this? This was uh, probably December 29th of last year. Something okay. like that, December 30th. Okay. A couple days after. A couple like three days after your last drink, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. And what was and, his and response? To, very, very positive, you know, welcoming, no judgment. He knew what was going on. He had, he had, like I said, he had invited me to, to open up before, and I didn't take the invitation. But um, been very supportive from time to time. I tell him that, you know, just how important that moment was for me. 
Because, I mean, it takes, it takes a ton of strength from his side to work with someone like that. It does. Not a lot of people do that. It, it, it does. However, on your end, nice job. The same thing. Like, you, you had a big week from December 21st to December 26th. You quit drinking. And then December 29th, you, uh, you open up about it. And you burn the ships in a clear fashion, leaving no room for discussions. What it sounds like you opened up, you took his invitation, you talked about it, your shoulders dropped two inches. Um, I'm sure there's like some atomic weight that actually is released off our body because it feels so damn good. And soon as that surrender moment happens, which sounds like it happened December 21st, you just knew that the gig was up. And the word surrender can divide a room <laughs> when it comes to recovery. It's a nebulous topic, but let's simplify it real quick. Surrender is simple simply yielding to the next stage of your life. That's all it is. It doesn't have to be any more compl- complicated than that. And on December 21st, you said, oh shit, the gig is up. My life has to change. My life will change. I'm willing to make the change. And there's a tipping point in there. The energy and momentum needed to move forward in life without alcohol is greater than the energy surrounding the addiction. And once that happens, the magic happens quick. So December 26th, you take your last drink. December 29th-ish is what you said. Uh, yeah, you burn the ships with with your best friend took a huge load off your shoulders and the ma- and the ball gets rolling fast uh pick it up after that obviously you 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 went through new year's without drinking nice job yeah so the the weight of the world was off my shoulders at that point like all this garbage i'd been carrying around for five or six years was finally off my back and you know this morning i actually had had this uh this idea that in that moment, the asshole that was running the joystick controlling my life left my body. And I took ownership of my life. I took responsibility for my life. And just before, you know, that, that burning the ships moment, you know, days before I had a 12-hour drive from New York to North Carolina, and I made the decision that I'm going to dig as deep as I had to dig and do as much work as I had to do to get to the bottom of, of all this drinking, all this sadness, all this pain. And that is what kind of kicked off the journey of the last eight months that I've been on. Reached back out to a counselor I had been working with on and off for the last four years. She was very helpful, helped me out with giving me some direction in my journaling, understanding the events of the last five or six years. And then that even got to the point where in working with her each week, I wasn't making a whole lot of progress I realized I wanted to I wanted to work with with a male and I wanted to work with someone that's you know with a track record of, of coaching other men. So I switched things up back in June and I mean within 3 or 4 weeks just boom like things started to click. I uncovered three things that that were just a huge part of why I turned to alcohol. Wow. And what did you uncover? Would you, would you, where'd you go? And, and real quick, Jay, you were on the fast track with this stuff. I mean, many people, they quit drinking this, including myself. And, and it, it took, it took me a while before I was ready to go internal. I didn't think there was that much to go internal with, but there was. And it's, it's when I was ready, my body let me know, okay, it's time to go within. But it sounds like Jay, you, you hit the ground running fast. What'd you find? Well, it, it sounds like it hit the ground running fast, but that's because we didn't dig into, you know, the, the, the three or four years prior to that with numerous failed attempts. And, you know, you get up every morning and you tell yourself you're not going to drink or anything like that. But it, it wasn't until I made the decision to take absolute responsibility for my life that things really changed. So getting back to, to what you asked there, you know, the, the three things that I've learned, these three major areas, I'm a people pleaser. 
you know, I never said no to anything, no, no matter whether I wanted to do it or not. And the internal dichotomy between what was going on on the inside and who I'm having to be on the outside would it just wears you out. Right? You're not living true yourself. Second thing was, I didn't even, you know, up until two months ago, I didn't even know what boundaries were. I'd never set a freaking boundary in my life. Or at least if I had, I didn't recognize it. And when my boundaries were being crossed, I didn't realize it, you know, just due to, due to how I grew up and my lack of emotional intelligence, boundaries got crossed and I just took another step back instead of standing up for myself or calling out the situation or anything like that. And then, you know, the third thing was, this was the big thing. This is why I bottled up so much was, was the emotional bids that I described earlier. Um, and having those, you know, just completely minimized. So there's a lot to unpack there. Let's go to the people pleasing thing first. I know I can relate to that. And I had an inkling of feeling that I was a people pleaser. I didn't realize to what severity or to what degree till about three and a half years in. And I've done a lot of work with that setting boundaries. And how did you realize that? And what does it look like for you when you are setting boundaries? And how are you addressing that? So what I mean, it's the biggest thing is having awareness of when you know, your, your boundaries are being crossed. Someone is causing you to lower your standards or something like that. And with that awareness comes choices. You know, you can address it like an adult right there in the moment. You can do nothing about it, which just doesn't help at all. Or you can just choose to not involve this person in your life anymore. Absolutely. And Jay, with, with the emotional bids, what have you done in, in that arena? Is, are, are, you, are you surrounding yourself with people that accept your emotional bids? What are you doing there? Because this is big. Yeah, it is big. Um, you know, like I said, with the awareness thing is huge. And the same three things apply, right? If, if someone just completely squashes what you just said, you can address it right there. You can, you, know, you can choose to do nothing. The biggest thing that I've learned is, you know, like here, here's a great example. In my relationship, with my wife, when this would happen, I didn't really know it was happening. I would always just kind of bottle up my feelings because I was tough enough to tough it out until you get to the point that you're not tough enough anymore. What I've learned is just having the courage to bring it up, to just point it out in the moment when it happens and be an adult about it. I've spent, spent the last eight years of my relationship thinking that it's better to be right than it is to have progress. As you can imagine, that doesn't get you anywhere, you know, but, you know, like I said, having the courage to communicate like an adult, that's been very helpful for me. Jay, one of my favorite quotes is you can be right or you can have peace. And I bring that into a lot of dialogue and conversations that I have. And you dropped another big value bomb there, Jay. And I don't want to put a percentage on this of importance, but awareness, simply having awareness is not half the battle. I mean, it's like, it's like a, a, a huge component of this. And another word that's interchangeable with awareness is presence and simply being present in a moment, um, bringing awareness to something that isn't, is, is off a little bit, mitigates the situation. In fact, uh, awareness has the potential to dissolve past beliefs, thought, thought patterns, et cetera, that are no longer serving us by simply turning our gaze inward with awareness. I mean, it is powerful. I have a line in the book. That, that, that just came out, Jay, that says you could take all the medicines, the most powerful medicines in the West, the most powerful medicines in the East, 
and it still won't match the potency of awareness. Awareness is, is a flashlight. It's simply shining a light on something in life that's no longer serving you and saying, hey, I see you. Let's, uh, I don't really have to do much here. Just simply watching it, being aware of it with presence is really all that's needed. And Jay, I know listeners are curious to, um, to how do you do it? Like, I mean, are, 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 did I hear an AA meeting in there? I have not heard that yet. Um, how'd you do it besides listening to the podcast? And, and thanks for listening, Jay. Yeah, there, you know, I have not been to an AA meeting. I feel like the term alcoholic is a very dated term. Um, I agree. You're just not, just not interested in it. But the truth is, ever since that moment that I told my friend that I had a drinking problem, I don't have cravings. Thoughts come into my head. They float in. I acknowledge it, know it's a bad idea, and just move on. It floats in, it floats out. Real quick, though, Jay, there's something you're doing that you're not mentioning is you let it float in and you let it float out. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, so, so the Jack Canfield book has really helped out. Instead of, instead of saying things like, I don't drink or I can't drink, I just say things like, I choose to thrive in sobriety. Yeah, it's an ultimate mindset shift, right? It's not a no to alcohol. It's a yes to a better life. In fact, any life change where the emotional charge behind it is out of fear. For example, you're running on a treadmill every morning three or four miles because you don't like um, something, some skin or fat on your midsection. Yeah, that might be effective for a couple of weeks, couple of months, but it's never going to be effective in the long run. So I absolutely love what you said there. Now, what's probably the hardest thing you've gone through in a life without alcohol in the past 243 days, Jay? You know, I've been in a couple of situations where there has been a lot of drinking going on around me played in a multi-day golf tournament um, had my 20-year high school reunion things like that and honestly i've just been fine people will ask and some people you can tell by their tone if it's an inner reflection on them and uh i mean what i just tell people when they ask why i'm not drinking i just say that i have i have goals so big that i had to give up on some things Whoa, I love that. Say it again for listeners. I have goals so big, I had to give up some things. And when you say it with such conviction to them that they feel what you say and not just hear it, they're not going to question your decision. I had it goals actually, so big that I had to give up my drinking. I'm going to use that one. I'm, I'm going I'm to call it my own. <laughs> just let you know. <laughs> yeah, that's I funny. love that, Jay. Yeah, that is fantastic. Uh, and, and what is something you've learned about yourself along the way? You know, it's not so much that I've learned. It, it was more reinforcing. There's been some key times in my life where I have really had to to buckle down and overcome some things, right? And the takeaway from those things was I can do whatever I set my mind to. And stopping drinking, moving on, thriving in sobriety, building, you know, basically rebuilding my life right now. And it just goes to show that I can I can accomplish anything I set my mind to. Now, that feeling of you can accomplish anything you set your mind to, was it there? Let's just go December 20th, 2018. No, and, I, was, I, was, I was busy writhing in self-pity. So that feeling, and it took a while. Like I said, you're, you're, you're on a faster track than I was, Jay. That, didn't, that feeling did not come on September 8th, 2014. It took a, it's a while for it to come back. But when it came back, that I could do anything that I set my mind to. Uh, it felt so good. And a lot of that is coupled with the, with what you said earlier is when we take full responsibility in our life. I mean, that's also the Holy grail as well. And Jay, what are your thoughts on relapse? 
I feel like if, if it was going to happen, it would have happened by now. You know, not only do I know that my life is better without alcohol, I can feel it. I've lost, Paul, I've lost 35 pounds since I quit drinking. Wow. You know, the very early morning is very important to me. And I will not trade that for a couple of hours of drinking the night before. Now, before I hit record, Jay walked me through his morning routine. Uh, tell listeners what you do in the morning. Get up early, go to the gym, get my ass kicked. And then uh, from there, it's, it's sitting down at a coffee shop. I write my journal every day. Some days it's magical and some days it's complete garbage. And just slow down. Just reflect. Look out the window. Take things in. I've spent you know, the last 10 years of my life on fast forward, go, 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 never slowing down. It's a side note, right? When I'm working, I'm working. But something I've never done before that I'm doing now, I'm scheduling time off and I'm taking it. And it has been awesome. Jay, how tall are you? I am six foot tall. Okay. And, and Jay, what, what advice can you give to guys out there? Because I'm like, we're seeing face to face. I can tell you are a dominant male, sports background, sales. You walk into a room. Um, and, and people listen, what advice can you give to guys out there about emotions? Because we've been conditioned in this Western culture, especially males to bottle it up that you put your nose to the grindstone and you just go tears are a weakness, right? That's right. So, um, this isn't, this isn't necessarily my advice, but it is something that has stuck with me. Something I've learned with the help of my wife, actually. Um, Brene Brown says there is no courage without vulnerability and to, to address this, you know, the drinking problem and more importantly, just the, the internal emotions and the things that are driving you to drink, it takes courage. Like I said, you've got to dig deep. You're going to uncover some crap that you never, you know, like you never thought was down in there and you've got to be willing to face it for me. You know, when I made that decision there back in December, I was fine. I was I was gonna I was gonna uncover whatever I uncovered, and that's what's kind of led me to where I'm at right now. Jay, nice job going within. I saw a TEDx talk by a guy named Dan Doty, the host of uh, I think it's the Everyman podcast. He talks about, and I'm gonna get these stats wrong, but I, th I think two years ago there was 50,000 suicides in America. 90% of them were men. Um, I, I do remember 90% of them were men. And so my advice and what Jay's saying as well, guys, we have to open up. We have to open up emotionally because the no pain, no gain mentality that we've been subscribing to for hundreds of years isn't working. And our roles in society are not definitively defined. And women out there um, tr allow us to, you guys, of course, you'll, you'll hold the space and allow us to open up, but try to get us to open up because it's hard. It's hard. So Jay, I love it. And Jay, one more question before we hit the rapid fire round. What advice would you give to your younger self? Oh, okay. A lot of times I would, you know, I would start drinking and I would, um, I would enjoy that two to four drink buzz where I got my imagination back. I had my creativity back. I dreamed a little. And then after that point, it was like I needed to come up with a reason, an excuse. And a lot of times it was a way to blame my wife or the other people around me or the, the circumstances around me for why I drank so much. And if I was to give advice to my younger self, it would be to put my, put, put the weapons down. 
You don't need to carry around that spear of blame ready to chuck at whoever questions you for something. Put the weapons down. Put your hands up. Surrender. Actually, one more before we hit the rapid fire round. Um, how have things changed in alcohol-free life? The, the best way to describe it is I have had just these multiple moments, either everyday life or at one point sitting, sitting on a rock above the New River Gorge in West Virginia, these incredible moments of peace. And I've never felt or experienced anything like that before where it catches you so off guard and it's just this, just this feeling of serenity. It's absolutely incredible. As the philosopher Nietzsche says in a rare moment of stillness, how little suffices for happiness. That peace and calm, which had no chance of entering my life with alcohol, is, I totally agree, it's the, it's the best feeling in the world. Just sitting on a bench to allow that come in, uh, and it's not really contingent on anything external. You're just sitting there, and the in, internal peace just grows and grows and grows. I absolutely love it. Jay, rapid fire round. Are you ready? Let's do it. All right. What's a light bulb moment you've had on this journey? I think the, the light bulb moment was you know, a couple of weeks ago, just finally digging down to, to what, was, what was causing the sadness, the feelings I was experiencing, and now having the awareness of that. That's so cool. You had a light bulb moment, roughly 220 days, 230 days away from alcohol, and they don't stop. I've had light bulb moments 1,200 days from alcohol, and that's the best part about it. You don't want those light bulb moments to end. Um, what is a memorable moment a life of that alcohol has given you? Probably what I just described there, just those, those moments where this incredibly peaceful feeling overcomes you. What's your favorite alcohol-free drink? I drink coffee and water. Sorry, that's a very boring answer. Coffee and water, that's pretty much all you need. <laughs> what are some of your favorite resources on this journey? You know, writing in my journal every morning has been a, just a tremendous help. Getting those things out of my mind and onto paper frees up space and bandwidth for, for all these new ideas, new thoughts, just good stuff to come to me. What's on your bucket list in an alcohol-free life? You know, I've got a couple of bucket list things. I just accomplished one of them. On my drive from North Carolina to New York, I stopped in a number of small towns uh, in the Blue Ridge Mountains and the Appalachian Mountains, mountain biked, small town hopped, and stuff like that. So I think next year on the bucket list, I want to fly, fly out to California, drive the Pacific Coast Highway from end to end. Nice. You know, that is actually where the Recovery Elevator podcast was born. I had the idea, and I'm like, all right, I, I got I to think this one through. And I drove from Montana to Seattle, stay with my brother, and I drove from Seattle all the way to the Mexican border with my dog, camped on the beach, through the had played fetch with my dog, been on the beach, and we hammered out the Recovery Elevator podcast mentally. This was like October 2014. Because yeah, I, I, I had a big decision to make. Am I going to come forward on iTunes about my drinking? I'm serious. It was a beautiful, beautiful road trip. And of course, like we know what decision I made. Um, yeah, that, that stretch of, of road is beautiful. I hope you do it. Um, and what parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners, Jay? Hmm. You know, it's just it's having the courage to be honest with yourself and being honest with the people closest to you. I love it. And before we depart, Jay, give listeners your own customized, you might need to ditch the booze if line. All right. You might need to ditch the booze if um, you, you self-impose a rule 
of only two 24-ounce twisted tees and then switch to Miller Lights because you're worried about cavities. Oh, I love it. <laughs> oh, those never get old. And there's there's infinite amount of them. I love it. Yeah. Jay, thank you so much for joining us. You had a tremendous amount of courage for coming on the podcast, sharing your story. I know a lot of listeners will resonate. Nice job. Thank you very much, Paul. Don't forget, January 20th to January 31st, we've got an alcohol-free trip to Thailand and Cambodia. This is a fantastic way to build those in-person connections with other like-minded individuals who also want to ditch the boost. Go to recoveryelevator.com. You get the full itinerary details on price, passport info, what airports to fly in out of. And at this moment, we've got 21 people signed up for this trip, and they are all rock stars. Right now, we are approaching the end of October, so you probably got a month left to sign up. I don't want to go too far over 30 participants. I do want to keep these trips intimate, but there's a fine line. We need people there. You want to make the in-person connections, um, but I also don't want to have too many people. So probably not going to go over 35. Uh, I'd love to have you. So guys, reset, readjust, restart, refocus, reconnect as many times as you need to. Recovery Elevator, it all starts from the inside out. I love you guys. We can do this.